Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We are in a series uh, on the spiritual disciplines. So each week, uh, Bill and Darren have been going through all the different uh, rhythms of life that we're supposed to be setting up and, you know, in, in, in true missionary form. Uh, uh, Darren emailed me and said, well, you know, you're a missionary. Do you want to do service or do you want to do mission? So he, he gave me, he said, this is what I want you to do. And, and I was really blessed um, to be able to uh, speak on, on the discipline of service this morning. And um, the spiritual disciplines are all about finding that new rhythm for our life, uh, instituting the things in our lives that are going to turn us into more like, like Jesus. And and if you actually look at the word discipline, this is, a, this is a, something that Dallas Willard wrote about um, that really helped me to understand what is a spiritual discipline. And if you look at that word discipline, you'll see that it has the same root as the word disciple. So, so this, this context of discipleship really ought to frame uh, everything that we think about when we think about the spiritual disciplines. It has the same root word. So the spiritual disciplines are all about becoming God's disciple, becoming a disciple of Jesus. So... Um, uh, we've heard it said that, that discipleship is monkey see, monkey do. I think that's Don Williams, right? I, I, Darren has, has mentioned that as well. And that's, that's really uh, what we're going after with these spiritual disciplines. So why? Some of the ones that we've talked about, why is it so important that we pray? Why is it so important that we pray? Because we pray because we saw Jesus pray, right? We saw Jesus and he said, you know, I'm gonna go up on the hill. You guys stay here. You guys just stay down here and, and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be alone with my father and I'm gonna pray. And then he teaches us how to pray, okay? Why is it so important that we are in community, as, uh, as Bill talked about last week? Why is it so important that we're in community? Because Jesus was in community. He surrounded himself with, uh, with people that, that he could feed into and that could be a part of his mission. Why is it so important that we fast? Well, because Jesus went away and he fasted and he assumed that we would do the same. Okay, so all of these, these new rhythms, these new disciplines, they're all to help us to become more like Christ, to go deeper in our discipleship. And uh, we follow Jesus, therefore we do what we see him do. Now, disciplines lead us to becoming more like Christ. And, and that's so much of what we want, right? We want to say, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I'm trying to grow every day and become more and more like Jesus. And uh, that's what the, discipl the disciplines are there to help us do. And as we become more like Jesus, we become more of who we were intended to be. You know, my uh, director, Ryan, he, he always talks about when he uh, envisions uh, who Ryan is in heaven, he's like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. And that's what the disciplines, they're, they're forming us into, the, into that person, that person that's, that, that's, that's uh, filled with the Spirit. So, so this understanding of discipleship really ought to frame what we're going to talk about. And like I said, we're going to talk about um, the discipline of service this morning. Um, Jesus's practice of discipline is contrary um, to what we see as, as a leader ought to do. And, and we see this often within um, God's kingdom that he just flips everything upside down. But remember, it's that monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. So, so uh, <clears throat> a prime example of this is where Jesus washes uh, his disciples' feet, which we can uh, maybe throw up there um, from John 13. Now, this is just, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So that's, so Jesus got down and he served his, his disciples. And now he says, now you do the same thing. That's all of disciplines. You do what you see your master doing. You do what you see your rabbi doing. So uh, that's, the, that's what Jesus uh, put forth. So um, this morning, um, if you guys have your Bibles and it'll be up on the screen as well, the main text we're gonna look at is from Mark 10. If you guys have Mark 10, uh, verse 35 through 45. Now this is a conversation because often we see that, that, that Jesus' disciples don't necessarily uh, understand what's going on. Uh, they, they have this thing in their mind of what Jesus' rulership is gonna look like and it doesn't necessarily uh, uh, line up with what Jesus is actually going to do. So uh, it says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now this is a pretty bold thing. This is, reminds me, um, uh, we have a son, he's, he's eight years old. And up until last month, he had never seen uh, a six-lane uh, freeway. And we're going, we're going up and down the 405 uh, into Orange County for various things. And, and every time we get stuck in traffic, my da- uh, Moses asks, Dad, is there going to be traffic? Are you going to the traffic? That's what he says. <laughs> Are you going to the traffic? I was like, I hope not. But it's the 405, so probably. <laughs> and when we get onto the 405, my son, who has never even seen a freeway this large, he, he, he looks and he asks me, or, or he says to me, Dad, if you, if you move over to the other lane, you'll go faster. That's what he says. He's never even seen it. He's never even seen a freeway like this before. And he does this in Tanzania too, where I'm just like, you know, Jesus has a lot more grace for James and John. Jesus actually humors them. I just tell Moses, Moses, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> no, I'm not moving lanes. Well, or my pride gets in the way and I actually should move lanes and then I don't because he said it, which is probably even worse. But anyways, Jesus humors them. Uh, <clears throat> he, it's almost like he, he probably gets this smirk on his face and says, okay, let's hear your great idea. So uh, James and John go on and they say, uh, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So James and John have this idea this idea of what Jesus' glory is going to look like. And, and if you actually uh, go to just the, the passage before this, you'll see that Jesus was actually just for the third time predicting and telling them what's going to happen when they go to Jerusalem. And he says, I'm going to uh, be prosecuted, I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm going to die. And at that point, James and John have this great idea. Well, Jesus, when you do that, I want to be at your right and at your left. And they're still missing the point, though, because they have this view that, that when Jesus enters his glory, it's going to be like this political ascension. And, and they're going to be sitting at this big banquet table, and, and James and John really want to be on the right and the other one on the left. Uh, in another passage, uh, even their mom gets in on this conversation. And if you ever need your mom as a grown man to ask for things, <laughs> you, might, you, might, you might see that, that something's not quite clicking right. But his glory isn't the political ascension that they're thinking about. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, Jesus actually goes on to highlight that, continuing in verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the bapti- baptism I am baptized with? We can, they, ans- they answered. And then continuing on to verse 40. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. 
but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So Jesus highlights that there's a big difference between what they're asking or what they think they're asking for and where Jesus is actually going. He's gonna point that out to them. They envision this, this political ascension, but they're, they're forgetting that what's the glory of Jesus as Mark de- depicts it in his gospel account? The glory of Jesus, what's the most glorious thing that he did? The most glorious thing that he did was go to the cross because that was the single work that freed us all from sin and death and destruction. That was the glorious thing that he did. So when he says, you don't know what you're asking for, he really means you don't know what you're asking for. Because as much as they think that, that this is all gonna work out great and he's gonna go into Jerusalem and he's probably gonna kick out the bad guys and this and that, they're missing the point profoundly because that's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. And, and, and if you think about the glory of Christ in Mark's gospel account, he does enter into his glory and his hands are like this. He's not seated, he's hanging. And the one that's on his right and the one that's on his left are low lives. They're naked, dirty criminals hanging on a tree. That's the one on his right. That's the one on his left as he enters his glory. So he says to James and John, you don't know what you're asking for. So he continues on. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, this is how it works. This is how it works. And we see this, right? We see this in, in the big picture in our society that, that this, is, this, is, this is what leadership looks like. You get onto the stage or you get onto this thing and you pound your fist and you say, I'm in charge. Or you say, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take over this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna kick these people out, we're gonna kick those people out, we're gonna do this. But not so with you. That's what Jesus says. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is is creating a new blueprint here. He says, the world works this way, but not so with you. Why? Because you're his disciples. That's why. You do things a different way. My kingdom is not of this world, so don't act according to the world. Your new mode is not gonna be grabbing for power. It's not gonna be exerting your will on other people. Your new mode, your new discipline is going to be to serve, to be the servant of all, as he says, This is your new mode. This is your new discipline. Remember, follow the leader is is our discipleship. So Jesus says, I'm gonna serve to the point that I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm gonna keep going down and keep going down and keep going down. We talked about when he washed his disciples' feet, but he didn't end there. He went even lower. He went all the way down into the grave because this is how he leads This is his discipline. This is how he serves. So if this is supposed to be, if this is supposed to be his mode, and then, therefore, supposed to be ours, if this is supposed to be the discipline that turns us into his disciples, that turn us into fully who who we're supposed to be and who he wants us to be, 
Could there be somewhere? What does, I mean, what does that look like? Could there be somewhere in the Bible where, uh, where, where this can just be spelled out or, or a good starting point? Yes, there is. Isn't that funny? Isn't that wonderful how the Bible works? <laughs> It'll actually give you direction. So, so there's a really good point and a, a place that we're gonna look. Um, it, it's almost like a, like a biblical list to get us started. And this is a passage that we've talked about before. And um, we're gonna break it down to very practical terms though this morning because the disciplines of the spirit are all about finding new practices. So they should be practical. So we're going to uh, look, if you guys have Matthew 25, Matthew 25 is where we're going to go. And uh, Darren preached on this uh, a few months ago. And he did a really great job. You guys should definitely check it on the podcast. That's how we keep in touch with you guys is through the podcast. So, um, so he gave a really good sermon. So I'm not going to get into all of it. But uh, this has some really great stuff that we can learn about, about what it means to be a servant. About what it means to follow Christ. And what that's going to mean for us. So then the king Uh, Verse 34 in Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, this, this passage is, is, uh, is very important, obviously, for you know, the eschatological implications, right? We have the goats on one side, we have the sheep on the other side. Um, but for me, I'm gonna break it down to just the simplest form because we all showed up at church today because there's something about Jesus that compels us. And maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you're already a follower, maybe you're already a disciple, maybe you're just checking it out. Whatever it may be, this text has something to say to us because this is the, these are the descriptions of what it means to follow Christ. And this is a picture of the end. Now, my intent in sharing this particular uh, a passage isn't to condemn, but if you look at the, this, this, this picture that shows us what it's gonna be like down the road, there's some condemnation that goes on because we have to remember the goats, we have to remember the goats, but, but we live in this place of grace where we can still think about the sheep and we wanna be sheep. Who wants to be a sheep? Anybody wanna be a sheep? I wanna be a sheep. All right. Wow, there's so many goats here. <laughs> I wanna be a sheep and, and, and I'm not looking to frighten or anything, but this can be a mirror because we're in this season of grace where we can look at this and ask, does this, does this uh, reflect my life? And when we look at this list, he, he, he talks about six different things, six different people that we can serve, that we can be among. And, and if we continue on, he says, in as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And that's a, very, that's a the key to this passage that we'll talk about in a second. So if we wanna serve Jesus, if we wanna be the ones that get down and we wash the feet, if we wanna be those people these are ways that we can do that. And my challenge is this, because sometimes we'll read Matthew 25 and we'll kind of like build it up. Like, oh, it's this intense thing because it's like this judgment seed and like Jesus is like separating goats and sheep and, and it's this really intense thing. But here's my challenge to you guys. With the six that he listed, this is just a starting point for us, but with those six, it, it's actually not that hard. It's actually not that difficult to serve those people. 
It doesn't have to be this big thing that we work up in our head and, and we just, and because the spirit will always help us. The spirit will always compel us that we can actually do these things that he's listing off. And, and for me, you know, it would be easy to say, well, I, you know, I moved to Tanzania and I've done this and that. And, and so now I've got it covered. But I, I tell you guys, honestly, and my wife can attest better than anyone that I mess up on this time and time again. I forget what Jesus describes his disciples as in Matthew 25. I forget that. And yet from time to time, this passage comes to me. And, and I wanted to share just, just a couple stories um, just when this passage uh, uh, impacted me. Um, there was a time um, when uh, Melissa and I went on hiatus. As John said, we worked at an orphanage um, in Tanzania for two and a half years and um, we, uh, Melissa became pregnant with our, with our daughter and um, we moved back to the States for a year and a half and I was working at a church up on the Central Coast. And we had a little apartment in San Luis and um, you know, finances were tight so one of the things that I did, I, 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 I'm a musician as well, so I would go um, downtown San Luis and I would uh, do busky. Or like I would play music and people would throw money in the hat and I'd say, thank you. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And it was, it was good because it would, you know, buy dinner for a few nights or something like that. And uh, one time when we were down there, Melissa had the stroller and she was, you know, pushing promise around and, you know, she came back to see me and she said, you know, I, there's this guy on the other side um, of, 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 of Hygera and um, I should, uh, I, I think we, maybe we should go talk to him. And so we ended up and we went and talked to this guy and he was a young man, um, homeless, um, asking for money, you know, just kind of. And something, something spoke to our hearts, and, and we knew that there was something different going on. You know, we've ministered among the homeless at different times, and, and it's an amazing thing to do. Uh, but there was something that was different going on, and we kind of talked to him, and we said, you know, how can we help? And he said, you know, you know I could use some money. So we gave him some money that, that I had, you know, made playing music. And I gave him my phone number. I said, we live nearby. If you ever need anything, you know, call me. Well, we, another time when I went out and I was playing music, we saw him again. We started to build just a relationship, and I said, is there anything that we can do for you? And he said, I could really use a place to sleep, because the shelters only allow us to stay for a month, and then we can't stay there anymore. So I could really use a place to sleep. I could use a good night's rest. So we had a little loft space just for the three of us, but downstairs we had a couch, so Melissa and I talked about it and we prayed about it. And it was kind of this scary thing for us at the time because we had never done this. We don't really know this man. He's a stranger. But we prayed about it and we thought about it. And we said, okay, Matthew 25, I was a stranger. So maybe that's actually Jesus that's there on the corner because that's how he identifies himself. So we said, okay, his name was Billy. We said, Billy, you know, and we set up a couple ground rules. I didn't know if he was on drugs. I didn't know if he had weapons, though I talked to him about it beforehand. He gave me his knife, and, and I said, okay, you can sleep on our couch. You're welcome to stay here. We'll make you breakfast in the morning. You're welcome to stay. So he stayed, and he, had a, he, said, he woke up in the morning. He said, I had the best night's rest I've ever had. He said, I haven't slept like that. It's a lot better than sleeping in a tree. And uh, a couple weeks later, he calls. Hey, man, can I spend the night? Yes, you can. Three times he ended up spending the night with us. And, and on the third night in the morning, I was making pancakes because everybody needs pancakes. <laughs> I was making pancakes. And uh, 
I was, I, was at the, I was at the sink, and he had his backpack that had all his things in it. And he pulled out a Bible, and he knew that I was a Christian. And he said, hey, man, this is really heavy. I, I know that you like, you know, that you, that you like the Bible, so why don't, why don't you take this? And I said, I said, well, you know, if you only have limited space, I would say that that would be one thing that you should keep in there. <laughs> And from that point on, I went from Genesis to Revelation, and I taught him about the Bible, and I taught him about God's story, and I taught him about the gospel. And uh, I don't think an opportunity like that would, uh, would just come up if I hadn't first considered Matthew 25. Um, Melissa and I are, are on a four-month furlough um, with our kids. We wanted our son Moses, who had not met any of the family, to meet family, and we had some things we wanted to do. But we were in San Luis recently on a date, and we... Um, we're walking out of, out of like a coffee shop or something and, and we saw Billy, this guy, walk into the bookstore. And we said, that's Billy. His hair is different, but that's Billy. <laughs> and uh, we were like, let's go into Barnes and Noble. So we went in there and, um, and we ended up seeing him pass. And I said, Billy. And he looked at me and he said, he kind of like, oh, I recognize you. So um, we, um, so we said, hey, man, how are you doing? Like, we live in Tanzania now. Sorry, you can't have you over anymore, you know? <laughs> but um, but he, he said, yeah. He just looked, and he was like, promise. Like, he remembered our daughter's name. He said, you guys, you promise. And he was just like, yeah, that's our daughter. And, um, you know, he said, yeah, you know, I'm working at this other place now. I had to do a little time in between, but I'm doing good. And he just said, thank you, as if it were like the next night. Like, he just remembered oh yeah, like three years ago, you guys welcomed me in and I was a stranger. I just think, man, what a, how many opportunities are we missing? Because we're not considering Matthew 25. I got one other story. I'm sorry. When Bill is up here, he's like telling all these jokes and everybody's like engaged. I don't really have that many jokes. <laughs> or Darren or whoever. But I got a couple stories, so I want one more. Because I, I feel like stories can kind of... Uh, encourage us. And I feel like the garden's about story. So I have one other story. This is from Tanzania during this last term. And it's again where Matthew 25, this text just kind of spoke to us. Um, we have three kids, which generally means we are going out of our minds. So after the weekend where, where, both, where all three of our kids are home all weekend, um, Melissa and I say, we're going to go and we're going to have a breakfast date on Monday morning after we take Promise and Moses to school. So um, we're having coffee at this place called Union, um, which actually, if you want to drink their coffee, we're selling some out there. <laughs> but um, we're having breakfast at this place called Union, and um, as the meal is wrapping up, Melissa, out of the corner of her eyes, he, she sees something odd, and um, her, her countenance kind of changes, and she says, um, there's a lady over there, and she's She's naked. And I say, oh, what? <laughs> you know, like we're literally in the middle of the city center. And she says, she seems like she's not in her right mind. And I said, okay, like, well, I'm just finishing my eggs and my coffee and then we can go. <laughs> and um, as we do finish, we, we walk down onto the, to the street and we, um, we don't first go to, um, we don't first go to uh, our car. Um, we kind of just walk around, and we see this lady walk past, and she is, as my wife said, um, naked. She, all she has on is a little scarf 
that's wrapped around and it's only covering her rear end and that is literally every, and, and everything that she's wearing. And um, as, as we hear the people, they are gawking at her. And it almost kind of makes you think when Jesus was carrying the cross and he was going through the streets that they were also gawking at him. Look at that naked man. He's out of his mind. He thinks he's the savior. And they're, they're gawking at this woman. They are ridiculing her. And I hear someone says, Who's going to beat this woman? This woman is out of her mind. She's out of her mind. And we think to ourselves, okay, Matthew 25, I was naked and you clothed me. So I say to Melissa, I am wearing two shirts. I am wearing an undershirt, my white undershirt, and I'm wearing my overshirt. So I run back into the coffee shop and I take off my shirts. I take off my white one and I, and I, and we attempt to locate the woman who had walked up the street and we give her my shirt. And we go back into our car and um, she puts the shirt on. Melissa helps her put her shirt, the shirt on and we go back into the car and then we're like, that's not enough. We gotta do something else. So we drive around, we see somebody that's selling mandazi. Mandazi is like a Tanzanian donut. So we said, this lady needs donuts. <laughs> So we buy a bunch of mandazi, and uh, as we drive past the shop, Melissa sees a white uh, skirt, and she says, I'm going to go buy that skirt. So Melissa runs, and she buys the skirt, and um, all this time, I was naked, and you clothed me. So then we go back to the lady, and we give her the the mandazi, and we give her a skirt, and Melissa again helps her pull it up, so now she's covered. She's no longer naked. She's clothed, and... um, when I, when I see her, she's got my white undershirt on with a white skirt, and I say, when you come a Malaika, you look like an angel covered in white. And she just smiles like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then we ask to pray for her, and we do. And um, afterwards, I felt impressioned by the Spirit to tell her something. I say, mungu anakuona, which means God sees you. And at first she shakes her head like nobody has ever said that to her before. And then I say it again, mungu anakuona. And I feel like when we minister amongst the least of these, that's the thing. They feel like they're invisible. They feel like nobody sees them. And as that truth hit that woman's spirit, it was like, are you serious? Are you serious? Later on in the day, I did see her, and she still appeared to not be in her right mind. And we continued to think about her and prayed for her. But I just think with Matthew 25, was that really so tough? I was wearing two shirts. How many people in here are wearing two shirts today? I'm wearing two shirts. Me, <laughs> me and Brenda are wearing two shirts. She's the only one that raised her hand. Was that so hard? It wasn't so hard. It wasn't so hard. Was it, a donut cost like 50 cents. Was that so hard? No, it's not so hard. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. We can do these things, people. We can serve other people. This can be our new rhythm. Um, so Matthew 25 has really impacted us. <clears throat> and um, we have been inclined towards a group that actually checks all these boxes, and that's orphans. That's what we do. 
We care for orphans. Um, orphans left on their own, they are hungry, they are thirsty, they are estranged, they are naked, they are sick, and they are left in a prison of their own existence. These are children that have nobody to look after them. And they are all over every single country, including America, including Tanzania. And our solution is basically according to God's design. God instituted the family and he instituted the church. So we're just putting those two things together. We're going to the Tanzanian church and we're saying these kids are locked up in, in orphanages or they're walking around on the streets and they're strangers and they need family. <laughs> God's design is for kids to be in families. That's, that, that's it. That's it. And, and I used to work at an orphanage and incredibly godly leadership and, and they're doing their thing, but I just feel like I wouldn't want my kids to be in an orphanage and I wouldn't want them to walk around on the street. So why is that good enough for somebody else's kids? And it's the church's responsibility. Amen. It's the church's responsibility to look after orphans. Amen. I'm sorry, there are, like, there are like four times as many churches in the United States as there are adoptable kids in the foster care system. And that's our responsibility. And I'm not even talking about Tanzania where, where a lot of these issues are exacerbated by extreme poverty <laughs> or, or HIV AIDS. But it, nonetheless, whether we're in Tanzania or here, churches and families are the solution. When we think about Matthew 25, Melissa frames this really well. My wife, she says, if you were to receive baby Jesus and he was an orphan, would your first inclination be, I need to go institutionalize this child? Or would you say, Jesus, I want you in my family? <laughs> because that is a reality. There are Jesuses all over the place that need to be in families. So that's what we're trying to do. This is our heart and this is God's heart. You know, there's scriptures that teach this. James 1.27 is a go-to for us. True and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, distress and to keep oneself unspotted for the world. And can I tell you guys something? Orphans and widows are always in distress. So that means all the time, care for orphans. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're working towards. That's what we are doing currently. And why does God care for the fatherless so much? Why is this so important? I wanna just share some stats with you guys really quick and then, and then I'm gonna start to wrap up. This, these, are, these are stats from, from the United States. This comes from a book um, by John Sowers called Fatherless Generation. This is based off of a host of different studies. Children from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 71% of pregnant teenagers, 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 85% of all youth who exhibit behavior disorders, 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger, 71% of all high school dropouts, 75% of all adolescents in chemical abuse centers, 85% of all youth sitting in prison. Do you think that when Jesus talks about uh, caring for the fatherless, that it's just, oh, this poor kid needs some help. Why don't you guys do something about it? No, it's because he understands that if an orphan stays an orphan, it's not gonna go well for them. They're gonna end up in prison. They're gonna end up dead. They're gonna end up addicted to something. It's not just this, oh, we should help this little kid. It's not that. That kid needs guidance and he gets it from a mom and a dad. Continue on. Did you have the other ones? These children are twice as likely to struggle with hyperactivity, conduct, and emotional disorders. Nearly three times as likely to struggle in school or to have to repeat a grade. Five times more likely to be poor. 33 times more likely to be seriously abused. 73 times more likely to be killed. 
And guys, this is my heart. You know, a couple weeks ago, Darren prayed for me because I, I carry this and, and I can't carry it. But I feel like as a community, we can carry this. We can carry this. This is our heart. When we serve, it changes the world. When we serve, it changes the world. That's why it's a discipline. That's, that's what Jesus did. He did it to the point that he gave up his life as a ransom for many. That's what he did. And that's what we're supposed to do. So uh, I won't be here next week. So I won't be able to hold you accountable to this, but I want you guys to do something with Matthew 25 this week. Memorize it, write it on a note and put it on your bathroom mirror. Do whatever you need to do. Do something with Matthew 25 because that's supposed to be our behavior. That's what we're supposed to do. And remember what I said about Billy. Sometimes we like to, to, to differentiate. This is the social gospel and this is the real gospel. That's not the case. Because when I welcomed a stranger into my home, God gave me an opportunity to present the gospel to him. These things go hand in hand. When we empower the church to bring in a child, that child is then exposed to the gospel. These things go hand in hand. My son was born. His name is Moses. When he was born, his name was Mohammed. Okay? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I just want us to, when we think about service, don't think about that one or two hours that you do doing the kids' ministry, which is awesome. I used to be the kids' pastor. Do that. <laughs> but it's not just that, and it's not, you know, Thursdays at the shelter. Service ought to be our knee-jerk reaction to any time we see somebody in need. That's service. That's the discipline of service. I see somebody in need, I do something about it because that's what Jesus did for you and that's what Jesus did for me. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.